Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is the sovereign Lord, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all, all over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, the cause my flock lack, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has plundered and has become food for all the wild animals and because my shepherds did not search for the flock but cared for themselves rather than my flock, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and I will do no longer, and I will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says I myself will search for my sheep and look for them, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock. When he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountain of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land, and they will feed in a rich pasture on mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Moving on to verse 23 and continuing from there I will place over them one shepherd my servant David and he will tend them he will tend them and be their shepherd I the Lord will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them I the Lord have spoken I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forests in safety. 
I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill, and I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit, and the ground will yield its crops, and the people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. I will provide them with a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. They will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are people, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, prophesy against it, and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against you, Mount Seir, I will stretch out my hand against you and make you a desolate waste. I will turn your towns and into ruins and will be desolate. You will know that I am the Lord because you harbored an ancient hostility and delivered the Israelites over to the sword at the time of their calamity, the time their punishment reached its climax. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I will give you over to bloodshed and I will give you over and it will pursue you. Since you did not hate bloodshed, bloodshed will pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a desolate waste and cut off from it all who come and go. I will fill your mountains with the slain. Those killed by the sword will fall on your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines. I will make the desolate, I will make you desolate forever. Your towns will not be inhabited. You will, then you will know that I am the Lord. Because you have said these two nations and countries will be ours and, we'll, and we will take possession of them, even though I, the Lord, was there, therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will treat you in accordance with the anger and jealousy that you showed in your hatred of them, and I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have heard all the contemptible things that you have said against the mountains of Israel. You said, they have been laid waste and have been given over to us to devour. You boasted against me and spoke against me without restraint, and I heard it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. While the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate, because you rejoiced when the inheritance of the house of Israel became desolate. That is how I will treat you. You will be desolate amount say you and all of Edom then you will know that I am the Lord moving to chapter 37 verse 21 I'm starting at 20 maybe hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on and say to them this is what the sovereign Lord says I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone 
I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and their vile images or with any of their offenses. I will save them from all their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. My servant David will be the king over them and they will all my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave them to my servant, the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Uh, for doing a good job with a very long reading. Uh, so we're in Ezekiel uh, today, and we'll be um, in Ezekiel this week and next week as we continue to. Uh, on this wonderful journey, on our overview of the whole Bible. So let me pray for us before we look further at this passages, these passages together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your patience with us as humanity. Uh, thank you for your heart to restore us and to save us, even though as a race we've turned our backs on you. And so as we continue to plot the trajectory of your salvation plan revealed progressively through the Bible, uh, help our hearts this morning to be warmed, we pray afresh as we see your grace and your mercy shining ever brighter, as you patiently work out your plan to save us, in spite of all our hard-heartedness and waywardness. Amen. Uh, can you think of a time when you have faced what seems like an insurmountable obstacle to reaching a desired goal? Uh, the problem looms large, and the goal which you seek recedes into the distance, and a sense of despair descends. Maybe it's like in a game of uh, a cricket test match where there is a batsman who you just can't get out and his score ever mounts ever larger and the prospect of victory recedes ever more increasingly. It's not a... Uh, could be Rory Burns, could be Steve Smith, who knows? It's not a comfortable place to be, is it? Uh, well, at this point in our Bible overview... Uh, seemingly insurmountable obstacles now block the way uh, to God's promised blessings ever being realized. Uh, with the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC, Israel's fortunes have reached their lowest ebb. Uh, God's promises to Abraham of a life of blessing in a land of plenty must now seem like an utterly unrealizable dream. Many of the Israelites are either dead or in exile. Israel's land is now part of the Babylonian Empire. Jerusalem and the temple lies in ruins, and God's presence has departed. Israel's prosperity, peace, and blessing have been lost. It really looks like the end of the road for Israel and all her hopes. True. God's unconditional promises still stand, but from a human standpoint, it looks highly questionable as to whether God will actually ever fulfill them. Maybe God is unable in the face of these seemingly powerful gods of Babylon, 
Or maybe he is now just plain unwilling, especially after the people's rank unfaithfulness and rebellion. And it's into that context of black, bleak despair that the prophets speak. It is no coincidence that the prophets, prophetic writings of this era are resplendent with statements of God's power and his faithfulness. In so doing, God is acting to reassure his people. Our sins, they are many, as we sang, but his mercy is more. Even though we may be faithless, God is faithful to his promises. God is not only mighty to save, but has a heart to save. The prophets at the time of the exile come with a twofold message of judgment for sin but also restoration beyond the judgment for a remnant. Well, if you were with us last week, uh, we were looking, of course, at the message of the prophet Isaiah. And I have here on the screen uh, an amazingly helpful diagram adapted from uh, Graham Goldsworthy book, According to Plan. Um, this is actually adapted for the, uh, the scripture materials we give to our kids in the Connect series. And it's an incredibly useful diagram. I say to the kids uh, when they get this particular booklet, um, they tend to throw away the booklets at the end of the, uh, the term, which is uh, sad, but I say, look, guys, don't throw this away. Take out this page and keep it in your Bibles because it's a great summary of the whole of the, the Bible's uh, story. It's, in effect, an overview of the Bible. And as you can see here, it sort of plots the division of the kingdoms, and there on the right is the, what happens to the northern kingdom of Israel, those ten tribes, and they eventually get deported to Assyria in 723 BC. Uh, but then on the left, we see the kingdom of Judah in the south, the two remaining uh, tribes. And we see their kings, a mixed bunch they were. But then we see that uh, two-stage uh, deportation to Babylon when Babylon uh, invade. Well, you can see there that some of the prophets of the time are mentioned. We can see, as we plot down this line of the kingdom of Judah, we see Isaiah there, who was uh, ministered to that uh, southern kingdom. Uh, but he was in Jerusalem at the time. This is before Isaiah's ministry, is before the, uh, the Babylonian uh, events, which came 150 years later. But then we can see Ezekiel there, who's actually in uh, Babylon. He goes out the first phase of the deportees under King Nebuchadnezzar. And Ezekiel's mes message and ministry is from Babylon. Uh, and he is, thank you very much, I'm crossing him out. Uh, he is uh, ministering to the, the remnants. So it's a very useful a diagram. Um, so we're seeing here that um, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel's message for the next two weeks. And um, also, uh, well, so as I say, he ministered to the people of Judah in the southern kingdom. Uh, and if you recall what we've previously seen, as we can see there, this Babylonian um, exile occurs in two phases, uh, 587 B.C. and then uh, 597 B.C. and then 587 B.C. So, um, just to give you a little bit of a feel for the, the structure of the book of Ezekiel itself. Uh, in chapter 33 of Ezekiel, we have a historical time marker. Uh, the fall of Jerusalem comes halfway through the book. Uh, Ezekiel 33, verse 21. Show me on the screen, please. There we go. Um, so, in the 12th year of our exile, so there he is, Ezekiel's in exile in Babylon. 
In the twelfth month of the fifth day, a man who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has fallen. Uh, So this is the point at which Ezekiel uh, learns of the fall of Jerusalem in uh, 587 BC. So that comes halfway through the book. So you see the structure of Ezekiel's book can really be said to be breaking into two halves. Chapters 1 to 32 are the record of Ezekiel's ministry before the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, He's in Babylon, but it's before the destruction of Jerusalem. And then the second half of the book, uh, chapters 33 to 48, records the the words of Ezekiel after the fall of Jerusalem. So, uh, let's think a little bit more about the message of Ezekiel. Uh, Like Isaiah, his message is one of hope beyond judgment. And this week and next, we're going to see in Ezekiel, uh, God's message is a commitment to once again bring blessing to his people in spite of what seems like insurmountable obstacles. Uh, All is not lost. But if he's going to bring his blessing, uh, God must deal with these insurmountable obstacles. Uh, And this week, we're going to see God's pledge to deal with Israel's enemies without and her enemies within. Uh, The foreign nations that attack her and her own leadership that has failed her. And then next week in the chapters that follow, we're going to see God's pledge to deal with the seemingly insurmountable problems of and obstacles of sin and death. So firstly then, uh, God's pledge to deal with his people's enemies without. Uh, have you ever had a bitter enemy? Uh, someone who has made your life an absolute misery? Uh, Maybe they've been an ongoing thorn in your flesh. Imagine how relieved you would feel if that person was removed from your life forever. Picture what impact that would have on your quality of life. Well, the emotions that you are experiencing as you contemplate such a welcome state of affairs would be similar to the emotions felt by the people of Judah when they heard Ezekiel's message. Uh, The people of Judah had many bitter enemies, uh, and one such nemesis was the Edomites who lived in the land of Seir. Uh, The Edomites harbored a malicious hatred of Judah. There was a sense of irony in that because, of course, the Edomites were descendants of Esau, uh, Jacob's brother. Anyway, uh, the Edomites uh, hated uh, the Israelites, and they had made Judah's life a misery. Uh, They had ruthlessly slaughtered their people and deprived them of their possessions and ultimately their land. But now God pledges to remove them from the equation forever. Uh, Chapter 35, verse 3. Uh, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Mount Seir, which is referring to the Edomites. And I will stretch out my hand against you and make you a desolate waste. I will turn your towns into ruins, and you will be desolate, and then you will know that I am the Lord. And this will not just be a temporary respite for Judah. Uh, This is to be a permanent solution to the problem forever. Uh, Never again will the Edomites afflict God's people. Uh, Still speaking of the Edomites, God continues in 35 verse 9. I will make you desolate forever. Your towns will not be inhabited, and then you will know that I am the Lord. 
So there's God's pledge to deal with one seemingly insurmountable obstacle, removal of their enemies without, uh, in this case, the Edomites. But not only does God pledge to deal with the enemies without, but also with the enemies within. And by that, I mean Judah's bad leadership. Now, we see in our own day how bad leadership can bring utter ruination on a people. Uh, The self-serving leaders of North Korea are a case in point. Uh, Kim Jong-un lives a life of luxury, whilst his 24 million people are barely able to survive. Uh, They lack even the basic necessities of food and shelter, and of course they are also crushed by ruthless oppression. And yet their leader lives in luxury. In one year, the regime spent $30 million on alcohol, $37 million on electronic goods, and $8.2 million on luxury watches. What sort of watches would that be? I don't know, but there you go. Uh, The leaders of Judah have been similarly derelict in their duty, only worse. Uh, Spiritually, they hadn't led the people well. Uh, The kings had led the nation down the road of apostasy and societal decay. Uh, The kings, of course, were supposed to lead the people in loving God and living out his law. And in so doing, they were supposed to ensure the nation basked in God's blessing. However, most of the kings had done the exact opposite. Uh, They had turned away from God and they'd abandoned his law. And consequently, these kings, these poor kings, had driven the nation into the train wreck of God's judgment. These bad kings had been self-serving, and these bad kings had failed to serve the people under their care. And so now, uh, using the common Old Testament image of God's people being his sheep, and the kings, the shepherds, God says that he will call them to account. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, and so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill, and they were scattered over the whole earth, And no one searched or looked for them. And as a result, God now pronounces his judgment on these delinquent shepherds. God will not allow such a state of affairs to continue. God will call them to account. Verse 10. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. 
I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Maybe you've heard of the saying that uh, if you want a job done properly, uh, you've got to do it yourself. Well, that is what, in effect, God now says. God himself says he will become the good shepherd of his people. Chapter 34, verse 11. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. And now we start to see the strands of previous promises intertwine. For the good shepherd, who is God himself, is also the promised eternal king from David's line. At verse 23. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them, and he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And this shepherd king will succeed where previous human shepherd kings have failed. This shepherd king will lead the people well to love God and to obey his law. Chapter 37, verse 24. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. The human shepherd kings had failed to lead well, and as a result, the people had fallen under God's judgment. They'd been overtaken by war, by affliction and by exile. But now God, as their shepherd king, will restore what was lost. And the description of life under the reign of this shepherd king resonates with the promised blessings made to Abraham. Uh, God's people, living in God's place, in God's presence, under God's blessing and his rule. Uh, What we see next is a description of an amazing life. War gives way to peace, deprivation to abundance, peril to security. Chapter 34, verse 25. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. I will bless them. And the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season, and there will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit, and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. And then they will know that I, the Lord their God, 
am with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are people, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. And once again, they will experience the shalom lost in Eden. This shall not be a temporary state of affairs. The rule and reign of this shepherd king will be unending. Ezekiel 37 verse 25. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. 600 years later, a man walks onto the world stage making this dramatic declaration. John 10 verse 11. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the pledges made by God through Ezekiel to deal with everything that stands between his people enjoying his blessing now take on a new relevance. They don't just apply to the physical nation of Israel. They apply to God's people throughout all the ages. And as we started to see last week in Isaiah, the horizon of fulfillment for the prophets is far grander and wider than the nation of Israel. God's promise to install a peace that amounts to nothing less than a complete reversal of the entire creation even amounts to peace amongst the animal kingdom. The lamb will lie down with the lion. Uh, we ourselves don't face the vicious Edomites. Uh, we ourselves don't chaff under the rule of delinquent kings of Judah. However, we ourselves do face many enemies that stand in the way of ex us experiencing shalom, that unending peace and flourishing under God's good rule. Presently, don't we feel the weight of living in a fallen world? We face many forces, as spiritual, political, uh, even people who stand in the way of us reaching the place of shalom. External enemies that attack the church. And we saw examples of that in the kids' talk in Sudan and in Ethiopia. But we see that in our own land as well. Those who oppose the cause of Christ. And it's not just enemies without that we face, but also enemies within. Even enemies within the church. False leaders and selfish, self-serving people. How will this unsatisfactory state of affairs ever be resolved? It will be resolved on the day of God's final judgment. That's what God is promising through the prophet Ezekiel. Through Ezekiel, God is saying one day he will call to account all those who have lived in opposition to his word and to his people. One day, God will finally remove and eradicate everything and everyone that opposes his plans to restore shalom. And the pivotal figure in this whole process is, of course, the good shepherd. He is the one who lays down his life for the sheep 
and we will shortly reflect on that greatest act of love for us, his sheep, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But one day, the good shepherd will return as the judge of the world. Acts 17, verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The good shepherd does lay down his life for the sheep, but that is not the end. He is raised back from death to life. He is alive today, and one day he will return as God the Father's appointed judge of the whole world. How do you view the day of God's final judgment? We live in a secular society that is hostile to any idea of divine accountability. And as a result, we ourselves may feel uneasy, even embarrassed, about the Christian belief in God's final day of cosmic judgment. Well, God's day of final judgment is not just a fact, it's also a necessity. And it's something that we should long for. Why? Because judgment is essential if God is to give his people what he has promised. For through his judgment, God removes the seemingly insurmountable obstacles that block the road to his unfettered blessing. He eradicates once and for all time all evil. He removes from the creation all the effects of the fall, and he reverses the curse. And so we wait patiently, and we wait hopefully for that day. And we say in our hearts, and we pray in our prayers, Come, Lord Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do indeed pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray that you would send the judge of all the world in your time, but we do pray that that time would hasten. We pray that we would be patient, waiting for that day, and indeed expectant, looking forward to that day. And that we would be ready for that day when you will finally remove uh, all opposition to your kingdom and the rule of Christ. And when, when you will inaugurate that new renewed creation where ultimately your people will live under your good rule, under your blessing, under the rule of the good king and the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, forever. Amen.